Well, I'd just like to say uh, on behalf of the Nepal team, thank you guys so much for praying. Uh, we uh, got back on Thursday, and uh, Thursday evening really late, and I know a lot of us, I talked to a few of our team members the last day or so, and we're all kind of feeling the jet lag, you know. Uh, I was actually doing really good, staying asleep at night until last night. I literally woke up around 3.30, and I was just real keyed up on what God has for us today. And so y'all pray for me. I think I'm going to get through just fine. I might have a little too much energy right now. Um, but I'm very excited to be here with us. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today. And when we started, uh, or when I started thinking about what this series was going to look like and uh, where God was leading me, I couldn't help but remember something that happened when I was very young. And uh, I've shared stories with you guys before, and some of you know, because I grew up in this church, I was the weirdest kid ever, right? I was a weird guy, all right? Seven, eight, nine years old, pretty weird. Um, I didn't typically like the normal stuff that kids my age liked. I always found the weird stuff to like. And uh, I remember, as I was preparing for this, I remember something I used to do when I was about seven years old. It was when we still lived in Wilmington, and it was, it was kind of a weird thing. I remember I would any time... I received balloons, so like for my birthday or anything like that, I would get balloons, and I remember doing this. I would, I would write a letter to God, all right? I'd write a letter to God, I'd roll it up, I'd attach it to the balloons, just like this, all right? Not this long string, but I'd attach it to balloons, just like this, and I remember like going out, outside, and I remember, for some reason, my parents were cool with this. Like, you know, this is before dad was in seminary, so his theology was a little off. I'm just kidding. Um, I probably killed some seagulls doing this, and I'm sorry for that, all right? The Lord knows my intent. But I remember, like, getting outside as a seven-year-old with my little notes to God, and I would just kind of just let them go. And I'd watch them float up really, really, really high, and they wouldn't stop on the ceiling. Like, they get really, really, wow, look at the, that's the worst placement ever for this thing. Let's put it over here. Um, I remember them getting really, really high. <laughs> Same place. All right, that's fine. That's good. I remember them getting really, really high, and I would watch them. They'd go out, 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 and as a seven-year-old, my little eyes would try to watch them as far as they could, and then they'd vanish. They'd disappear. And I remember thinking at seven, I remember thinking, this is how I can reach God with my prayer. This is how I can reach heaven. And it's funny because we just finished a series all about the afterlife. And we talked about heaven. We talked about what is in store for us in the afterlife. And what's crazy is, did you know that God has given us a way in which we can reach into the realm of heaven. And it's not sending balloons up into the atmosphere. There is something that God has done. He's given each believer in this room a way in which we can reach into the realm of heaven. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, uh, most of you guys probably know this, but Jesus is preaching his most famous sermon 
of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And in this sermon, he, I want to talk about this one little incredible way that God gives us to reach into the realm of heaven. And we're going to be in this passage for the next three weeks. And so this isn't like a flyover passage. This is one of those passages that we're going to take verse by verse, and we're going to really kind of look at what is God, what is Jesus saying for us in this passage. So look with me in verse 5. Look at what it says, the first four words of verse 5. And when you pray, and when you pray. I want you to think about this question for just a minute. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you prayed? Not, not like a, a quick half-thoughted prayer, you know, not, not like, you know, Lord bless the food, help me pass this test, help my cold to go away. Not, not that kind of prayer. When was the last time you really prayed? Sincere Genuine, real, thought through praying to God. It's staggering when you start to read about the average time that Christians spend, believers in Christ spend talking to God. It's, it's pretty dismal. And, and maybe I don't need to throw a bunch of statistics at you because you kind of know your prayer life better than anyone. And if you're one of these people that has an incredible time and prayer time with God, then praise God. Hopefully this message will be an encouragement to you. But if you've, if you've walked in a path similar to sometimes the places that I've walked, especially in my earlier years, maybe your prayer life is anemic. Maybe it's shallow. Maybe you can't really think about the last time you had a genuine prayer conversation with God. When was the last time you prayed? Or is it a forgotten conversation in your life? Is it a forgotten conversation in your life? Is it something that's antiquated and outdated in your life? Is it kind of like this phone booth? Now, somebody asked me this morning, is this a confession booth? It is not a confession booth, all right? <laughs> want to be clear on that. I know you guys on the side might have a hard time seeing it. There's actually a phone inside of here. Uh, a confession booth, you'd need two of these, right? One for the priest and one for you or whatever. This is an old-timey phone booth. It's like from like the 1930s, 1940s, where, like where you can find pictures of this. And it's, it's kind of a cool thing because back in the day, in the 1900s, the dominant time of the 1900s, conversation Long-distance conversation was something that happened in a geographical location. Like, can we remember a time like this? In, in this world, you would literally get into a booth like this. You'd pick up a phone that has a cord hooked to it. And this is where you'd talk. You didn't get to go very far. This, is, this was it. We, this is what life used to be. In fact, when we were in Nepal, 
last week, or maybe it was in, we had a layover in South Korea. I re- we saw an actual phone booth. Like, it was the craziest thing. A phone booth just like this. But if you can just try to remember this, some of you might not have ever remembered this, but a lot of you guys in here know what I'm talking about. A time when conversation was geographically fixed, anchored. It's an antiquated notion. It's something that we used to do, but we don't do anymore. And for many of us, prayer has become this forgotten and antiquated as this phone booth. For some of us, when we think about prayer, it's, it's just an antiquated notion. But look at what Jesus says here. Verse 5 again. And when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. He doesn't say if you get a second right before your meal, just throw up a little, a little prayer just saying you appreciate it. That, that, he, he didn't say that. Some of us are going to spend more conversational energy with our family figuring out where we're going to go to lunch in another hour or two than we will talking to the creator of the universe. He doesn't say, if you pray, he says, when you pray. You see, prayer is not a minor elective for us. I went to, to college, and um, I remember I had a, a great roommate. I had two really phenomenal roommates, and one of them uh, is an insurance agent here in town. And uh, we decided, this was a bad idea, I'm just going to tell you off the top, uh, I had like a little flex in my schedule, and I needed to take an elective. You know what an elective is? It's not your core classes. It's an elective. And so me and my friend Stephen, we decided we were going to take the same elective. And so the elective we chose was film as art. And so you go in, you watch a movie. This is a class. And you write like some little one-page thing on, summary on the movie, and that was, that was the class. It really was a kind of an easy class to get an A in. And I was kind of hoping for the A. And so me and, me and Stephen Ray, we decided we're going to make this decision together. This is like reverse accountability. This is like the, the thing you don't want to do. We decided if either one of us wasn't feeling like going to class that day, we just wouldn't go to class. So instead of carrying each other along and helping each other, we both decided, if one of us decided we didn't feel like going to class, neither of us went to class. We missed almost the entire elective. (laughs) And at the end of the semester, I walked in uh, to take my final. I did show up for that. And, um, And... And I got two bad grades in my college career. One was in biology, because biology is hard, in case you didn't know it. And my second bad grade in college was film as art. Isn't that crazy? This was supposed to be an easy A. But the problem was I was treating it as what it was. I was treating it as an elective. Something that I didn't have to do. And me and Stephen, we never took it seriously. And it did nothing to benefit our academic career. And for some of us, prayer 
We treat it the same way, but prayer is not supposed to be some lazy minor elective that we choose to fill some time and score that easy A on our spiritual report card. Prayer is not an elective for a believer in Christ. It was always meant to be an essential and a core piece of what God was doing in and through us. Not if you pray, when you pray. Verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Prayer is not uh, an elective, and prayer is also not a melodramatic performance. It's not a performance. These hypocrites were not praying to talk to God, but to display how spiritual they were. In fact, the word hypocrite means actor or mask wearer. It's it's this idea that these actors, they were looking for one thing, that when they stood up in front of people on the street corner or in the synagogue or church or wherever they were, what they were looking for at the end of the prayer was this, applause, honor, respect. What they were looking for was people to hear their prayer and think to themselves, wow, that is a godly man. That is a godly woman. And all the while, Jesus was calling them hypocrites. He wasn't talking about the idea of public praying being a bad thing. He was looking at their hearts, the heart behind why a person would do this. And this is a test for every single person that gets on this stage. It's a test for me. Every time I step up here and every time I'm going to spend time praying on behalf of all of us corporately praying together, every time I do this, this is the test. The test is, am I doing this to truly talk to God and allow him to work and move in our midst or am I doing this to sound good? I'll be honest, it's a test. And sometimes, I'm just, I'm just going to be real with you and transparent. There's times it can be a show. And Jesus is saying here, hey, this is not what it's about. It's not a performance. In fact, some of you might not have a problem praying in front of people. I know there's lots of people in here that if we were to call you up on stage or to call you out in connect group and to ask you to pray, that would be super uncomfortable for you, and I understand that. But for some of us, we don't have a single problem praying in front of people. For some of us, that's, that's just kind of how we are. In fact, I was this person. I I was kind of a confident person uh, growing up. I didn't have problems speaking out uh, my thoughts and my my mind, as many of you are painfully aware of. Um, But I didn't have a problem with that. This thing's on me, isn't it? Sorry. And what was crazy, this is what was so crazy about that time in my life. I remember I could pray out in public in front of everyone But when it came to my own private prayer life with God, it was lacking. It was actually kind of awkward. You ever ever had a situation like that? 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I give you this illustration. Think of that awkward friend that you have. The person that you're friends with, but you'd never go to lunch with them by yourself. Right? You're friends with this person, but you wouldn't go to lunch or go to coffee with them. Why? Because it's just for whatever reason, it just feels awkward being around them. So what do you do to fix the problem? You have a buffer friend, right? You invite someone else to come with you to lunch and be like, come with me so it's not weird between me and this other guy. Here's what's so sad. There was a time in my life where I was treating God like this. Like I could get in a group with a few of you and we could pray together and spend time praying to God and me, me saying things out loud to God and have no trouble. And then when I got my own private life, it was like this awkwardness, this I feel like I need a, a person in the room with me to hear me. It was hypocrisy. But Jesus is saying here, prayer is not a, a, a melodramatic performance. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or the pagans, as they do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Prayer is not a magic lamp. It's not a magic lamp. What comes out of a magic lamp? A genie, right? How do you get the genie out of the magic lamp? We know, right? You, ru you rub three times. Or if it's a magic mirror, what do you say? Mirror, mirror on the wall. What are you doing? This is how magic works. It requires some silly words or some incantation or some kind of conjuring to get what you want. And people treat God and prayer the same way. And this isn't just in cartoons. We don't just find magic lamps and magic things in cartoons. This is in the real world, the world we live in right now. I was in Nepal last week and saw this firsthand. Buddhists and the Hindu people. They go and they, they move these, these prayer wheels, these, these things that they think they're conjuring up some 
wish. It's almost like a wishing well for them. They treat, they're treating their false gods like a wishing well that, that if they can just say the right thing or do the right thing, they'll get what they want from their false god. And what's crazy is this is what the pagans were doing when Jesus is saying this. They did this during their time as well. They would cry out babblings and incantations to try and conjure their God to answer them. You remember the prophets of Baal in, back in, in the Old Testament? This is what they were doing. They were trying to conjure Baal to do something for them. Or Ephesians in, in the book of, or in the, when uh, Paul is in Ephesus, they're doing the same thing. They're crying out to Artemis, the false God, to give them what they want. And they think that if they do this long enough and if they say it the right way enough times, they'll get what they want from their false God. How often do we find ourselves treating prayer the same way with thoughtless words to get what we want? Here's how I know it's a struggle. Finish the, the statement. God is great. God is let us thank him for our, by his, we all are, give us, Lord. Yeah, we know these things, right? Here, here's another one. When we pray for the food, Lord, bless the food and the hands that prepared it, right? Here's one I hear myself say all the time. Dear Lord, thank you for this. We have these, don't we? And it's not to say we can't use some of these things to teach our children how to pray. But, but here's what I come to find to believe is a lot of times when I start a prayer like that, a lot of times it's, it's not actually me thanking God for the day. It's just something I'm saying that I don't give little or I give little or no thought to. And I'm, I'm not here to say, hey, we all need to be prayer police. You know, when next time we hear someone start a prayer like that, we just cut them off right in the middle. And I'm not saying that, okay? Let it slide. But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, let's be aware of the things that we're saying to God. God's desires that we would shift out of the routine of empty words that mean little or nothing to something greater and richer. Verse 8, Jesus says, do not be like them. The ones that pray this way, don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And this is a great question to ask. If God already knows, if God already knows what we need, why ask? Like, have you thought about that before? Like, Okay, God, you're all-knowing, all you're omniscient, you're all-powerful, you're all-loving, you're all these alls. And uh, if you know all of this, why do we ask? Doesn't it seem like a waste of time? I mean, why spend so much time asking for things and praying for what God already knows? Here's the answer. And this is probably the most important thing we're going to say today. Because prayer is a relationship conversation with God. Prayer is not designed to inform God. He knows it all. Prayer is designed for relationship and fellowship. I have been dating my wife, Crystal, 
for 22 years. This, we just kind of celebrated our dating anniversary. I know that's kind of cheesy, but we did. Um, 22 years we've been dating. And guess what, guys? When you get married, you still should date your wife. And so we've been dating for 22 years. And I remember back in the earlier days, because she was out in California for parts of the year when we weren't in school, we would burn the phone up. I mean, I would talk on that thing for hours on end. Imagine, imagine if today I decide I'm not going to talk anymore. I know everything I need to know about my wife. I mean, we've been married for 18 years. We've been dating for 22 years. I know everything I need to know about her, so there's really no need to talk anymore. And let's just say from here on out, that's kind of the mode of operation that I take. That, you know, if we get in trouble or if we have a situation that comes up, maybe then, maybe then we'll talk. And maybe when we come to church, you know, and people are seeing us, maybe we'll talk then because we want to keep up appearances, right? Would you call that love? course not. Why? Because when you truly love someone, you want to spend time communicating with them. It doesn't matter if you've been married 20 years or 40 years. You want to hear from them. You want them to hear from you. It's the, it's the way love works. And prayer is not an elective or a performance or a magic lamp Prayer is a relationship conversation. And so Jesus says, look at back at verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Create a space for prayer. It could be a prayer closet, could be a prayer bedroom, could be a prayer porch swing. Some of you got three kids, all under five, go to your bathroom and lock the door. <laughs> and you'll get about five minutes before those little hands come clawing through the bottom of the cracked door. Think about this, guys. Keep in mind, Jesus himself didn't have a room to call his own during his earthly ministry. Yet he still says this. Why? Because God intends for our conversation with him, for us to create a space both physical and mental. What's the reason for this? Because prayer is not transactional. It's not an ATM booth that we go to and we punch in a few codes or say a few right things and get what we want. It's more like this old school phone booth. A place where we can go to God and we can get in our prayer closet. We can go to a place that's quiet and private and sacred and we can shut the door and begin to talk to God. And for some of us, man, we have time. Some of you guys, you're retired. You have time where you can do this. Some of you are just running busy, busy, busy. You got young kids. I get all that. But Jesus is saying to us, create some kind of space to be alone with me. A place that's sacred, 
and holy. And it can be different every time, but a place where you can be alone with God. How many of us have this? There's nothing wrong with corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is powerful, but the most significant praying you will do will not be in this building. The most significant praying that you will ever do will be in your personal time alone with God. So what happens when we finally get there? Jesus gives us this model prayer. These following verses aren't what you should pray. It's not like the special words you should pray. No, it's how you should pray. And we're going to cover these the next two weeks after today. But look at verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, when we pray, make it personal. Make it personal. The words, our Father, are not announcing a formality. It's declaring a position for those who follow him. It's communion and fellowship with God. God's not up there in the atmosphere with me sending balloons up and saying, all right, God, did you get that one? Did you get that one? Did you get that one? No, that's not the relationship that we have. It's God right here, right beside us. Not a million miles away, right here with us, as a father is to a son. I remember just a few days ago, the night before I left for Nepal, I went into my kids' rooms, said a little prayer with them, and um, I finally got to my little five-year-old Abe's room, and um, I kind of was sitting on his bed, and he was half asleep. But I said, hey, buddy, I, I just want you to know, I love you, and uh, I'm going to miss you, and, you know, just saying a few things to him. And, and I said, do you know how much I love you? And he was so tired. And you know what he said? He said, every. That's all he said. I said, do you know how much I love you? And he said, every. And, man, I, I was struck by that. I was, like, just, that was profound, Because the way I took that is he understands how much I love him. Every victory that little guy has, I love him. Every setback that guy has, I love him. Every smart thing he says, every time he back talks his mom, I still love him. This is what a father's love looks like, right? And this five-year-old understands it. Does he know how much I love him? Yeah, every. This is how God loves us. For some of us, we get this picture easy because we had a great relationship with our dad. Some of you had wonderful relationships with your father. He was intentional. He was supportive. He wasn't perfect, but he was there for you. And then others of you, you didn't. So when you read these words, our father, it has a stigma associated with it because you didn't really have such a great father situation. But God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of your earthly father. He's not a bigger version of your dad. He's the perfected version of your dad. He's everything you wish your dad could have been and more. Did you ever imagine what it would be like if your dad had never left home? 
If your dad had sobered up, if your dad had sat on the end of your bed and asked how things were going, did you ever wonder what life would be like? If he had made those important moments in your life a priority, all that hopeful thinking is what our Heavenly Father is like. The goal of prayer is not getting a hold of an answer. It's getting a hold of this perfect Father, God himself. So many times we pray for our blessings. Lord, bless me here. Lord, bless me here. But he is our best blessing. Ephesians 1. Let's just read this with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. How much does God love you? Every. We're not coming to the prayer to get a blessing. We're coming knowing we are already blessed. That we are a son or a daughter of God. And this fundamentally changes how we think about this relationship conversation. Jesus says again in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yes, he is our Father, but he's also our Father in heaven. This perfect balance between intimacy and awe. That our prayer should start with worship. God's supreme purpose for prayer is that he would be glorified in and through us. That above all, prayer is centered on God's glory, not on our needs. The word hollow here means to make holy or set apart. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to set God apart from everything else in our heart. This is what worship is. We worship God, one, for who he is. This is what we call adoration, where we adore God. Psalm 86.15 says, You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You're slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Adoration, that when we adore Christ in our prayer, when we start our prayer this way, it sets the tone for the rest of our time with him. It reminds me of God's identity and his desires for my life. And adoration, it allows me to see myself as I truly am before a holy and just and perfect God. So we thank God. We, we, we praise God for who he is. And then we also we worship God for what he's done. This idea of thankfulness and gratitude. Psalm 66.3 says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. We thank God 
for answered prayer. We thank God for spiritual blessings. We thank God for relational blessings. We thank God for material blessings. But more than anything, we thank God for the redemption of Jesus Christ on our behalf that while we were yet sinners, Christ came, bled, and died for us and is victoriously risen. This is something to thank God for. So that every time we go to our prayer closet, our private time with God, we start with worship, thanking God for who he is and what he's done on our behalf. The question is, are we doing this? God desires to have relationship conversation with you every single day he desires this he pursues this he wants this yesterday I had some time just to relax a little and I like college basketball so turned on some college basketball and watched the Tar Heels play and you know it was, it was a close game really close they pulled it out Wake and State, they had a pretty close game too. Duke blew out Boston College. Let me ask a question. While you were watching that game, did any of you have the phone number to that head coach? You know, your favorite team, that head coach. Did any of you have the phone number, the personal phone number to that head coach? Were any of you calling up Hubert Davis or John Shire? Were any of you calling those guys up? I mean, let's, let's face it. We, we said a lot to the TV, didn't we? But wouldn't it have been weird if we, if we could just call up Kevin Keats and say, hey, and tell him everything we want to tell him? We can't do that. There's not anyone in here, to my knowledge, that has the personal number of any of those guys. Or how about the CEO for the company that you work for? Some of you might have that. If it's a small business, you might have the CEO's personal number. I'm not talking about the office line. I'm talking about his personal cell phone number. Some of you might be able to call him. But guarantee you, if you're working at Walmart, you, you don't have one of the Walton family members' numbers. Clearwater paper? Probably not. Chick-fil-A, Dan Kathy, the Kathy family? Any of you got his personal number? That's weird, isn't it? I mean, you work for this guy, yet you don't have a way to get in contact with him. Governor Cooper. Anybody got his personal number? Not the office number. His personal phone. No one. That's weird, isn't it? You can call Yahweh. You can call the God of the universe. You can't call your CEO. But you can call the God who created the CEO. You can't call your governor. But you can call the God who all the governments of the world sit on his shoulders. You have direct 
access to him. Not as some no-name employee to a CEO. Not as some no-name citizen to a governor. You have direct access to him as a son or daughter to a father. God desires to have relationship conversation with you every single day. Do you desire the same? Jesus is calling you into intimacy with him in the quiet place of your heart. He is calling each one of us to have this kind of a relationship. For it not to be some forgotten and antiquated thing, but a real relationship. Conversation. He wants to transform your relationship conversation with him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. There's a, a gentleman in our church, we're, we're not here to blow horns of other people, but there's a gentleman in our church that just about every morning on the way to church, I see his car in our parking lot, and I just know a little bit about him. His prayer closet is, is here on campus, and he comes on campus and he prays, significant time, just about every, every morning, prays for our church, prays for his family, prays for our families as pastors. And Chuck, Chuck's going to come on up here in just a second. But I, I just, I felt like I wanted some prayer warrior in our church to lead us in prayer this morning. And so as Chuck leads us in prayer, I'm going to invite you. This might be a hard thing for you to do, or maybe it's easy. If you're comfortable doing this, and if you can do this, I want to invite us to maybe change the posture of our prayer time right here and now. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, with not a, not a ton of moving around, I know it's going to take a little moving for some of us, but I want to invite you, if you're comfortable doing this, if you're physically able, to just go ahead and kneel there at your seat. Just go ahead and turn around in your seat, just kneel there on the ground. Let's change our physical posture. And let's ask God to speak to us in these moments. so many times I come to the prayer room and I've got all the people I've committed to pray for and I start just jump into it Lord and you just stop me and just kind of say what about me and I think about what it means to have the God of the universe to be my father and I think about that you sent your son and because of your son I've got reconciliation. I've been reconciled to the Holy God. But because of your son, he was a penal substitutionary atonement for me, Lord, where I should have been on that cross. He went there for me. I think that when you said that you made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for me, that in Christ I might become the righteousness of God. Well, I don't think 
on this earth I'll ever be able to totally grasp what it means to have that double imputation when my sins were imputed to Christ and his righteousness was imputed to me Lord that's that's beyond my comprehension Lord but and any one of those gifts I'd have been totally happy for all eternity to be atoned for to be reconciled to be redeemed if I would spent the rest of my life being a doulas, a, a slave, a servant of God, that would be exceedingly abundantly more than I could ask or imagine. But you, Lord, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. We should be called children, adoption, that we're children of God. And that is what we are. We're children of God. I just, I can't grasp the the beauty of adoption that even if everything Jesus paid for you the father adopted me I thank you Lord that I can call the God of the universe my father I ask this in Jesus' name Amen So maybe today stand to your feet we're going to sing a song together there's going to be prayer partners here at the front. Maybe today you really can't pray. You can't really have a relationship with Christ because you've never started that relationship. That is your greatest need, to start that relationship with Christ. But maybe for you, maybe your prayer life is anemic. And maybe today it's time to confess that to God and open up this intimacy that he has for you. Altars open, prayer partners are here. Sing with us. Just do what God would have you do. And it's time together.